while those of us in the dominant group who are not the targets of a system of subordination have the privilege of obliviousness. In fact, when I speak of white privilege, that's really what I mean. Some people think I'm talking about money and wealth and power, and that can be part of it, and sometimes it is part of it, but that's not really what I mean. When I talk about white privilege, I'm talking about that psychological privilege of having no requirement to know anything about anyone else's reality. Right? The ability to go through life, and I don't have to know what people of color experience in this society, because if I don't know, please tell me what penalty will I pay? Nothing. Because I'm not going to have to know that to get a job. That's not going to be on the test. Am I wrong? Is there any test I'm going to have to take? Professional licensing test. Test to become a professor. Test to get into college. Test to get into grad school, law school, med school. To have any job at all where I'm going to have to demonstrate a knowledge of the things that people of color believe are important because they are their personal experience? No. At no point am I going to have to demonstrate that. But if people of color don't know what the dominant group has deemed is important knowledge, I think you know what happens. And it's quite a bit different. Because indeed, what the dominant group says is important will have to be known by everyone, and especially by those who are in subordinated positions. They will especially have to prove their competence in what the dominant group thinks is important. So it's the privilege of being oblivious to other people's reality. It's why I can still after 15 years of traveling this country, 15 Februaries, 15 Black History Months, where I've been on the road, still go to colleges and have students, otherwise capable, intelligent people who got pretty good test scores and got into really selective schools. A lot of schools that I couldn't have gotten into, frankly, based on my test scores, still ask me why we don't have White History Month and ask it with a straight face. <laughs> Only because they have the privilege of being oblivious to the fact that we have several white history months. We just give them these tricky names like May and June and July and August and every other month. Because those are the months we study a lot of white folks. In fact, we study a lot of white folks in February. Little secret. Right? It's not really like black folks take over for those 28 short, cold days. Right? Still mostly white folks. Right? So that's obliviousness. I don't have to, and it's not just with race. Look, to make this real easy, let's just take the easiest analogy I can think of, the most obvious one, the one with which no one is going to argue, right? No one. I have no idea how I got into this room today. None. And it's not because I have a particularly bad short-term memory, right? Um, it is uh, the fact that I, being an able-bodied person, temporarily, because if we live long enough, that's all any of us probably are, temporarily able-bodied. I didn't have to pay attention to whether there were steps or, you know, is there a ramp to get in the room? Is the berth that I've got to get over here to my table large enough? That's something I don't have to think about as an able-bodied person, but someone with disabilities who faces discrimination, who faces marginalization, who faces assumptions about their ability, their capacity, who faces real obstacles on the basis of their identity as a person with a disability would have to think about. And the fact that I don't think about it doesn't make me a bad person, right? Doesn't make me intentionally oppressive to the disabled. It doesn't mean that I woke up this morning and said, watch how I can go and injure uh, disabled people by not thinking about their reality. It says nothing about me, right? But it says a lot about the social context in which I get to operate as an able-bodied person. And the same thing is true in any other identity realm. When you are a member of a dominant group, any dominant group, on the basis of any identity factor, and there are lots of them, not just race, right? You have the privilege of not knowing something that those in the other identity groups have to know. 
And that's really something we all ought to think about because everyone in this room, I'm willing to guess, is a member of some dominant group, right? Very few of us are only members of dominant groups and even fewer are only members of subordinate groups, right? So even folks of color in the room, if they're able-bodied, gotta think about able-bodied privilege. If they're men, gotta think about male privilege, right? Straight, gotta think about straight privilege. Christians, gotta think about Christian privilege in a mostly Christian society. Whenever you're a member of a, if you come from a family with money, gotta think about what that means. Whenever you are a member of a dominant group, you have the luxury of not knowing some stuff. And if you wanna do fairness and justice and equity, you need to think about the things that you don't have to think about. That's the point of having this conversation. So we cannot trust dominant group members all the time to tell us what's going on unless those people are willing to check in with the folks who are the targets who usually have that inside knowledge. And of course, if you do that, you find folks of color when it comes to race overwhelmingly say that race is still an issue, that racism is still a problem, and not because they read about it in a sociology book, but because it's their lived experience. Because they can remember instances within the last 30 days, the majority of peoples of color when polled in this country. I hope you guys could hear that because it was coming out of one speaker in my headphones and I, it was a good clip. Tim Wise talks about the privileges that exist and that most people are members of some kind of dominant group where you don't really think about or it doesn't cross your mind the difficulties that someone who is not a part of your dominant group experiences. And in trying to conceptualize male privilege, which is something you don't even talk about. It's usually white privilege, and that's what we get fixated on. And I am going to get back to Steve King, who potentially could be the first Republican in the modern era, in the era of Trump, who his Republican colleagues will compel him to resign because he made racist, white supremacist remarks. That's a serious about face. Because a particular political party has won multiple elections, and I would argue the presidency, because of a very antiquated view of race. And if the Republican Party has been using that to influence its narrow electorate, and they then are going to turn away from that and compel one of their Republican colleagues in the House to resign, this is the turning point that is necessary. It's not always to get... Democrats to be more forward thinking and forward speaking about race, because I think most people who call themselves Democrats or liberals or progressives will have a much more thoughtful approach when it comes to race. Doesn't mean they're not racist. They're more conscious of the fact that it causes disparity because people of color and black people in particular are necessary to win races for Democrats. So if that is an issue of your political constituency, of course, you have to take it seriously doesn't mean you're going to fix it because there are some folks that believe that if other people, non-citizens, non-English speakers, non-Christian, get opportunity and get rights and get a fair share and have equal access to the Constitution, they believe that they may lose their equal access to the Constitution. That is the toughest thing to get people to overcome. By including more people in this nation and the day-to-day operations of it and this democracy, no one loses anything. It's a very narrow-minded focus that, oh, if these people come here and get jobs, I'm not going to be able to get a job. If you're a naturalized, born American citizen, 
you are always going to have an advantage. An example that I use is this. So there's a, a mother of four children who is escaping a narco state in Honduras where her children cannot go to school. There's no clean water. There's abject poverty to what we don't even have any clue about in this country because poverty in America is still a flat screen television and an iPhone. It's not a dirt floor in a hut like that's. Poverty in America is still indoor plumbing. Poverty in other countries is literally none of that. Somebody can be poor and living well below the poverty line and still have Internet access still have access to libraries. Or in other countries that it's not even a on the list of 100 things that they want and that they need immediately. Libraries and Internet access don't even rate rate on the list of 100. So we look at poverty very, very differently here. And so if that woman with her children arrive at the border or they swim across the Rio Grande and they make it to this nation. I don't feel any level of job insecurity because that family or thousands like them come to this country. If I lose my job as a radio host to a family, to a mom that does not speak English and does not know how to get around in the city of Milwaukee, then I don't deserve to have this job in the first place. So if you're, if you're that insecure about your job, you probably suck and you're much more likely to be replaced by your neighbor than by a migrant family. I swear we're afraid of everything in this country, including our own shadow. And so in thinking about the different privileges that that we have and people are like they feel guilty because well I didn't ask for this privilege and we're not saying that you did but acknowledge how your reality and how your worldview and the lens in which you look for look through is shaped by the opportunities that you are born with I parked my car somewhere one night I don't know where I parked it wherever I could find a parking spot I went out for a friend's birthday didn't stay very long just to say I showed up, you know how it is, because you're a jerk if you don't go. So I didn't want to be a jerk on that day. So I went to the little birthday party. I didn't stay long. It's what do they call it? Is it a French exit where you walk in? Oh, hello, everybody. You say hello to everybody, but then you leave without saying goodbye. I did one of those. And I didn't quite remember where I parked my car. I had a general sense of where it was, but I didn't know specifically where it was. So I had to walk around quite a bit to look for my vehicle. And I had to walk through an alley, and the alley was dark, and I heard footsteps behind me. But I wasn't concerned about my safety. In fact, the way I identified those footsteps, it sounded like heels. So I was really not concerned about my safety, walking down this dark alley looking for my car. The fact that I didn't have to fear for my safety walking by myself downtown through an alley looking for my car is in fact a privilege. Let me tell you why. Because as a man walking by myself downtown in an unlit alley, not that big of a deal. I'm trying to get to where I'm going and that is my focus. But to a woman walking down that same dark alley looking for her car because there have been women where the last things they heard while they were still alive was somebody's footsteps behind them while they were walking through a dark alley. I don't even have that to think about. There may be a person who will opt not to look for their car because they have to walk by themselves down a, a dark alley. I have the privilege to not be hampered by my fear 
of what someone else may do to me. Well, I guess somebody could jump out of a dumpster and shoot me with a machine gun, but I'm much more concerned about me getting to my car because my feet were starting to hurt. So looking at the privileges that we have is very, very important because sometimes we say very ignorant things when we're referring to individuals that do not have the same opportunities that we are born with. The Forum on Real Resistance Radio, your host, Sherwin Hughes. On realresistanceradio.com, always streaming live. Keep it locked. I'll be back shortly. We're on the uh, on the radio today talking about the 90th birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King and conceptualizing how far we've come. We still have a long way to go, but maybe progress is being made very slowly, very incrementally. It's hard to see that progress when Donald Trump is elected president and he used an existing sentiment. So whatever Donald Trump says about, you know, races and different cultures and ethnicities and wanted to do a Muslim ban. You guys forgot about that, didn't you? A court overturned it and said you can't say the people from these countries can't come to America. And some of the individuals were American citizens and went abroad to travel, but then were having issues coming back into the country. A judge, like judges often do, they just ruled against Donald Trump's citizenship question on the census, which should be very alarming and concerning for all of us because there are almost 11 million people in this country who have a level of insecurity about their citizenship status as to they could be deported at any time. And that should be a problem for all of us. And the example that I got, and I got this from uh, when Sheriff Richard Schmidt was the acting sheriff. Now, he got mollywopped in the election. Arnell Lucas is the Milwaukee County Sheriff. But there's something that I learned from Richard Schmidt, and he gave me a whole different perspective on the issue of immigrant rights. I'm a citizen. Most black people have never had to worry about their citizenship unless you're from the Caribbean or you're from Africa, etc. My family's been here. We can trace our family's roots in this country to like 1690. And it's not a very pretty history, by the way. It's very eye-opening. But my family has been here longer than a good portion of the German, Irish, and Polish immigrants that I share a city with. Very interesting. So they don't want to go tit for tat on who's more citizen because black people are. We've been here a long time, long time. And so Richard Schmidt said, we need to be particularly careful and cautious. And he also had to reassure people that he would not be an agent acting on behalf of ICE, where the previous sheriff, I guess the two previous sheriffs, Sheriff David Clark, did apply for a particular type of certification or classification where all Milwaukee County Sheriff's deputies would be agents of immigration and customs enforcement. Richard Schmidt pushed back on that, denounced that, and did not pursue the application to make sheriff's deputies in Milwaukee County unofficial or official ICE agents. And here's the reason why. This really opened my eyes. If there is someone who is in this country unlawfully, they don't have their citizenship status, and they're worried about being deported. Their friends are here. Their family is here. Their culture is here. Their income is here. 
for all intents and purposes, save for the paperwork, they're Americans. They commit less crime than Americans do. And if this person witnesses a crime, they see a terrible crime, and they're the only witness, it might be a very violent crime where someone was hurt or worse. And they, this quote-unquote illegal individual, was the only one to witness it. They have the evidence. Maybe they even got some cell phone footage of this crime being committed. And they have possessed the evidence that can get the perpetrator locked away. But that immigrant who was insecure about their citizenship status is never going to come forward. And a killer, a rapist, a robber, an assaulter can go free. Why? Because that immigrant is so insecure about their status and they don't want to get deported. They don't want to share that information with the authorities, even though it's the right thing to do. Even though they have the information and the evidence that can convict somebody of a very terrible crime, a lot of those folks are not coming forward because anybody can ask at any point in time while they're divulging all this information and giving testimony as to what they saw and turning over all of their video evidence. So I'm going to say, hey, um, yeah, well, yeah, thank you for coming forward. We're going to put this person away that committed this crime. Thank you for your cell phone footage. But are you a citizen? And they may say, well, well no, I'm not. And then they're on their way back to a country that they left intentionally. I never thought about that in a million years. Because then at that point, everyone is going to be pro-immigration. If your family, and I hope this never happens to your family ever, is victim of some kind of a violent crime and the only witness to that crime is an illegal immigrant and they don't come forward because they're worried about getting deported. I hope nobody is ever in that situation, but that's just really something to think about because I never considered it before. But I also am not, now people try and tell me, oh, you know, you blacks. I love when they start a conversation with that. You blacks need to worry about illegal immigration because it's taking your job. Really? Really? I'm going to be replaced tomorrow by someone that does not speak English on an English speak. Really? That's, that's what's going to happen to me? Nine a.m. Central. No, that's not going to happen. From the New York Times, House Republican leaders removed Representative Steve King of Iowa from the Judiciary and Agriculture Committees on Monday night as party officials scrambled to appear tough on racism and contain damage from comments Mr. King made to the New York Times, questioning why white supremacy is considered offensive. So this is very ironic. Steve King from Iowa a Republican removed from his committees at the bequest of other Republicans on Dr. King's 90th birthday. Talk about two different Kings. The punishment came on a day when Mr. King was denounced by an array of Republican leaders, though not President Trump. The Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Mr. Government Shutdown himself, suggested that Mr. King find another line of work. And Senator Mitt Romney from Utah said he should quit Congress outright. And the House Republicans, in an attempt to be more proactive, stripped him of the committee seats in the face of multiple Democratic resolutions to censure Mr. King that are being introduced this week. They're going to compel this guy to resign. Now, let me throw this little bit of political twist into the mix. 2020 is going to be... I think it's going to be more of a disaster because now you've got, you know, representatives from Congress running for president. You've got former 
Obama people. There's going to be more former Obama cabinet secretaries are going to run for president because at this point, why not? Why wouldn't anybody who's ever been a Democrat or ever voted for a Democrat ever once in their life, why wouldn't you run for president? Why everybody else is? Like, you know, the expression, everybody and their mother. I guarantee you somebody and their mother is going to run for president. But how does the narrative change ever so slightly? Right? Now, hear me out on this. If there are Republicans that challenge Donald Trump, and there will be, Mitt Romney sounds like he's jockeying for a position. Governor Kasich of Iowa sounds like he's been jockeying for a position to possibly challenge Donald Trump. Former Senator Jeff Flake from Arizona sounds like he might challenge Donald Trump in a primary. What if Republicans ran? As, as disingenuous as it may be, if you look at the output of their party, what if Republicans ran on denouncing racism? What if they said, we want to fight racism, we want to introduce new civil rights legislation to push back on racism because our party has been an absolute failure? How does that change things? How would that open people's eyes? Now, is it going to happen? I don't know. But you also can't predict anything that is happening in this country, in this administration. Just something to think about. I'm going to take a break and we'll come back and talk about, i got a couple of things to talk about. Maybe talk about Tony Evers. He was just in Milwaukee yesterday. Let's see what he was doing here in the city. The Forum on Real Resistance Radio. I'm your host, Sherwin Hughes, on the 90th birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King. Keep it locked. I'll be right back. Party like a rock star. That's what we do every single day here. Every day I party like a rock star on the air. In fact, our phone number, 844-96-PARTY. That's seriously, if you call 844-96-PARTY, which is 844-967-2789, first Keith is going to answer the phone. He's going to ask you some stuff. He's not going to ask you a lot of stuff. Basically, make sure you're a human being and where you're calling Are you sober? Don't know, because you've let a few. <laughs> there's been a few that have. I can't tell all the time. I know you can't. You can't make them walk a line on the phone. Uh, uh, Sh- Sherman, Atlas, no. And then they hang up. But Lou, who's on line one, he's not going to sound like that, are you, Lou? Lou from Oconomowoc is on line one. Lou, how are you? I'm great, Sherwin. How are you today? I'm doing well. Um, I'm from Oconomowoc. I'm a white guy. Oh, are I'm you? retired. Oh, um, would have had no yeah, idea. Yeah. Yeah, well, you never know. <laughs> anyway, uh, I was thinking, I've been listening to you this morning because uh, I quite frankly didn't have anything to do except iron my wife's clothing this morning. So, Like a good husband anyway. should. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? Her girlfriends really like it because they don't know any, they don't know a lot of men that even iron anything anymore. So you show that to a kid these days and they don't even know what that thing is. That was one of but my I'm punishments. When I got in trouble here. as a kid, I'd have to iron all the clothes in the house. And so when I went away to college, I was like, oh, oh my God, I know how to iron. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? You're all the better for it. Not I to think mention so. the fact that you're the sharpest dressed guy in the room when you walk in for whatever. Always, sir. Um, Always. Anyways. I wanted to just, uh, I, uh, I was listening to you this morning, and, you know, I was listening to this thing about Romney, and I was thinking to myself, and you, and you talked about it, and, uh, you know, Republican Party, are they leaning back and forth? And and, and then we were ta- you were talking about 
you know, racist, racism or what exists. And I, I got to give you a little bit of my background. I'm a former pastor. Um, uh, both my daughters have mailed or married uh, folks of other citizenry. Okay. Um, I've got two grand or two granddaughters, um, both dark skin, um, darker skin. One was uh, uh, a uh, Hispanic from Mexico, and uh, is. And then uh, my uh, other granddaughter's dad is uh, uh, Indian. And, and and when I say this, I'm not being silly. Or I'm being silly. I always have to say. My friends go Indian. I go yeah, non-feather. So I am just being silly. But uh, the fact of the matter is, uh, the Mitt Romney thing and, uh, and racism and all this stuff. I, don't you think? And money, money controls and and is always known how to play the the poorest class. You know, okay. Jesus Christ says the poor are always going to be among us. And they play on, you know, and I mean, I, I, and I'm going to say this, some of the smartest people I know can be some of the poorest people, and some of the, uh, you know, absolutely ignorant can be the smart ones. Uh, it's our responsibility, I think, and I've always believed this, and I've told that to my girls as I raised them, that we should, we should look at all sides of the coin. Mm-hmm. And I think think in this country, and and many countries, it's just human nature, I think a lot of people are just controlled by the the media, and uh, and, and it's always this, it's, uh, I think money has a lot to do with it. Whether you're black, whether you're white, they're always going to find a way to play us. They're going to always find a way to play the white man against the black man. So do you think the comments that Mitt Romney and other Republican lawmakers have made denouncing Steve King, you you think that they're not being genuine or they are? Or how does money influence their commentary? I think they're I think they're totally in. in, Well, let's just talk about Mitt Romney. I think he's a total shapeshifter. I believe that. I think he's looking at a run for the presidency again. Mm -hmm. But this was a guy that. When uh, President Trump was looking for, what was it, the Secretary of State? Right. He was up in the, uh, you know, he was up in the uh, penthouse eating frog legs with the guy. Couldn't say a bad thing about him. And up until getting just elected, he was accepting that, uh, you know, that pat on the back. You know, this is my guy. You know, Trump patting him on the back. I, I endorse him. And Romney wouldn't said a thing. He's a shapeshifter. That's all he is. You know, and... and and to go further, I mean, this is a guy that said there's a, what's that, the 47% that... Oh, yeah, right, that, that depend on the government for their food and their health care and all that other stuff. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And he's a guy, I, I just think he's a total shapeshifter. And I think, you know, I, I can also say I'm a kid from Iowa, and I scratch my head every time I see him vote out there anymore. <laughs> but not what I grew up around or with or... You're from Iowa, you, know, you say? But, Where in Iowa are you from? What county? I was from Marshall County. I was from a little place called State Center, which is just well, basically right where I, where it calls itself, State Center. I was. Uh, oh, I bet that's a small town. If the name of the town is called State Center, that's a tiny little town, isn't it? But that's a tiny little town. We were just down the road from a place called Marshalltown, which was east of us. That was the big town. Interesting. 
when you went Saturday night. Your uh, home state has a big influence on the presidential nominating process. Too because much. Thank you for agreeing with me, man from Iowa, who's also a pastor that has biracial <laughs> granddaughters. Thank you. Wonderful. No, just too much. And, uh, you know, I, I totally agree with that. Um, uh, you know, but I, I've been reading an interesting book, too. I'm an avid reader. I've been reading this thing. It's called Hillbilly Elegy. And I don't know if you're it, – it was just – I can't – No, I'm not familiar author, with the Hillbillyology? Elegy. E-L-E-G-Y. Hillbilly Elegy. By all means, a, proceed. What's it about? He was – he's a uh, – well, he's – I believe he's a – well, he's been to law school now, but he grew up as a poor white kid in Kentucky. His mother d- deserted him, and his grandparents raised him. And But he, he, he talks about, and this is where I scratch my head, I am that 65-year-old guy, or I look like those people out there that are just without, I, I think to myself, what are you thinking? <laughs> you know? And, uh, but... At the end of the day, I just see how easily swayed they are, how big money controls controls the whole argument to start with, or not even the argument. They control the narrative, is a better word, for, you know, what we think of one one another. You know, uh, you know, I, well, I'm just going to say it out loud. You got some of these... Uh, I listen to the guys down at TMJ and ISN. They'll drive me nuts. But uh, it's it's the idea of, uh, you know, well, you got this guy, the blue-collar worker over at Harley-Davidson. You know what he's making? By God, and you know, I'm going to tell all these people here in Milwaukee that are struggling at some of these really outrageously underpaid work. But you know what? He's making so much more than you. You know what? He should be kissing their boots up there because, you know, just take my word for it. That's the whole idea, you know. That's what they're telling you. Take our word for it. They're making more than you. Or he's, you know, it's... They sow it's, divisions it's amongst the, people that have more things in common. Right. right. Yeah. And I just pray. I pray. I get on my knees and make my daughters talk about it. That, you know, can, you, can we see, see the whole thing? And it's got to be honest. It's got to be an honest conversation. But we are so controlled in this country by money and and fear. Fear is just a huge issue. They got you. They'll have you run run into the cliffs like a bunch of lemmings if you allow them. But Lou, we're not going to allow them because we're better than that, Lou. And Lou, can I ask you one more favor before I move on here? I got a favor to ask of you. So while you're while you're praying for other folks, let Sherwin get a couple of those prayers too. Throw me in your prayers while you're at it. Long as you're down there. I will most definitely do that, young man. Appreciate it. So yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate just giving me a couple of minutes. So we have you know, and that's the thing. We all have more in common than we have if we can just get out of the bubbles, get out of what somebody wants to tell us about our neighbor and actually just rub elbows with them. I would like to think humanity out there is wonderful. Thank you, Lou. Appreciate your call. Thank you. All right. Just be a critical thinker and always question. Like I don't entirely blame the media like some, because you have to be specific. We do things a little bit differently over here, or or at least I do. I can't speak for anybody else. The truth is nonpartisan. And if you just encourage people to seek their own information and do their own research, and if you hear something or if you read something or if you're told something, just verify it. That's all you got to do. 
or you can just listen to the forum where I verify all this stuff for you. So not all media is bad. Those that prey on people's fears, anxiety, and xenophobia, that stuff is bad. All right. Getting back to partying like a rock star. Going to take a break. Going to come back and talk about Tony Evers calling himself pro-business. The forum on Real Resistance Radio. Always streaming live on realresistanceradio.com. Tony Evers is rolling something out ahead of his state of the state address, which I'm very interested to hear. First time we've had a Democratic governor in the state of Wisconsin since 2011. What is he going to say? Newly elected Tony Evers, who is counting diversity in his administration by the number of women, not necessarily by the number of people of color. Remember, Tony Evers had lost that race until absentee ballots from the central city of Milwaukee were counted. He lost. He didn't win. Till black folks came in and saved him. Now, I'm also going to sit back and watch what he says, but also, more importantly, what he doesn't say. Is he going to do anything to commemorate the Dr. Martin Luther King holiday on Monday? I don't know. At least Scott Walker threw a prayer breakfast, mostly so people could come and pray for Scott Walker. But there are other elected officials and other executives that do things to commemorate the national holiday that was hard fought to get. I think it became law in 1982 under Ronald Reagan. Let's see if Tony Evers, at, le- at the very least, that's a really low standard to see if he does. And maybe he does. Maybe we just haven't heard about it. We haven't received any press releases yet. I'm hoping that Tony Evers does something to recognize or commemorate or have some community event or at least attend community events commemorating Dr. King. In the city of Milwaukee, I believe we have the longest or the second longest, either us in Atlanta or Atlanta. We lead in something. Either we have the longest running Juneteenth Day celebration in the nation and Juneteenth Day celebrates June 19th, 1865, when the last slave in Galveston, Texas, found out they were free. They actually had been free for two and a half years, but, you know, those Texas slave owners, they weren't exactly forthcoming with information. Well, what you mean the slaves are free? They just put my crops in the ground and I need somebody to harvest them because I don't want to pay white people a wage to harvest my crops. I'd rather have my freed slaves do it on their behalf. That's deep. Anyways, I'm hoping that there's some kind of commemoration because I'm watching everything this new governor does, as we should. You know, we haven't had a Democratic governor in this state in a very long time. What I can't let happen, and I vow not to let it happen, whatever I can do to stop it or mitigate these effects, I'll do it. To make sure the Democrats are still held accountable when it comes to things like racial disparities. Milwaukee is routinely on that bad list of worst places in the nation, not just in the Midwest, but in the nation, to raise a black child. It's it's the worst, and there's a number of disparities that make it so. In fact, the... Federal Department of Education under Barack Obama came in and filed a suit against the Milwaukee public school system because their discipline practices against black and brown children were the worst in the entire country. 
And so they were sued to correct some of their disciplinary policies. That is an issue, but nobody wants to talk about that when they're trying to get you to love everything about your public schools. It's a very slippery slope for African-Americans who live in particular neighborhoods where the schools are technically more dangerous on a day-to-day -day basis because of the lack of learning that's going on than a school in the suburbs that could be under threat by a shooter. That's rare and on occasion that you'll have a school shooter. I don't think we've had one yet in 2019, but we probably will. It's rare and on occasion, but look at what the response is to it. Talking about having guns in the classroom and arming teachers. There's even these companies that are creating these bulletproof shelters inside of classrooms because the response to something that is, it's, it's rare, it is. The number of school shootings we had in 2018, whatever the number was, it was way too high. But you have to keep in mind, there are 9 billion school days in a year. You multiply the number of children who attend schools by the number of days in a school year, which is somewhere around 180. Nine, like 9 billion is a very big number. It's a very large number. And to have, so even if we had 30 incidents, way too many, obviously, I'm going to say that that's way too many. But out of 9 billion, that's, you have a better chance of winning the lottery like 10 times over. And winning the lottery when the Powerball gets to however many half billions of dollars, it's like taking everybody's name in the United States, like every person who's in the country right now, you put everybody's name in a hat and draw out one name and have that be your name out of 320 million names. Like that's the likelihood of winning the lottery. The likelihood of a school shooting is even more rare and scarce than that. But look at the response. It's tremendous. It's swift. It's extreme. Even though it doesn't happen a lot considering there are 9 billion school days. But the response to poor performing schools and what people do, you can often dismiss it because, well, if it's black people in the schools, it's black parents, it's black children. Well, you blame them. It's their fault. They're deficient. They're inept. The parents probably can't read. And so instead of taking more accountability from the level of the system of education, the institution of education itself, you just blame those black people. That's using racism and stereotypes. Because there are some people that are committed to a neighborhood because that's the house they grew up in or the house that their grandparents bought. And maybe the neighborhood has deteriorated over many, many years, but they want to stay in that house. Aren't those individuals that choose to stay in what we would call an underprivileged or underserved neighborhood entitled to the best school anywhere like some of these shining examples that exist outside of the city of milwaukee that exist in shorewood that exist in new berlin etc cetera, etc cetera. aren't they entitled to that and ask yourself that question because some people say well no of course they're not entitled they're poor black people who are much more likely to go to jail and have no father in the home and people will use that as an excuse to be okay with the day-to-day -day failings of these institutions of public education now, all of this is going to be put on display in the city because you're going to see a number of school board races in the city of Milwaukee that will be more intense and competitive than the race for mayor. And our race for mayor is going to be a doozy. It's probably going to make national attention. If we find out that we have the Democratic National Convention coming to the Fiserv Forum in the city of Milwaukee, everything we do is going to be on a national stage because we will be the city selected that nominates the Democrat who is running against President Donald Trump. Now, that's not until July or August of 2020, but preparations will be underway immediately. And then what happens when you get such a, a large national event in a city like this, 
media outlets start taking an interest in, well, let's find out what's happening in the city of Milwaukee, the city that was an underdog and was selected to host the 2020 Democratic National Convention. And then there'll be an overt and intense analysis of this city, which is known nationwide as the worst place to raise a black child. Can that just be black people's fault? Because if you just blame black people and their ineptitude and their lack of intelligence and their just overall laziness with their welfare getting cells, then you can say, oh, it's totally black people's fault. Blaming black people for the inequities that exist and the fact that we rank highest in the city of Milwaukee as the worst place to raise a black child is as much black people's fault. Now, follow me when I say this. I'm going to assign some blame to the blacks. Listen closely. It is as much black people's fault and their burden to bear as it is government workers' fault that they're furloughed. Basically the same. How dare these lazy government workers not find other jobs because they're lazy? They were furloughed. This actually a vacation. You know the president called it a vacation? Not the president. I think somebody, a member of his cabinet called it a vacation. Oh, they're on vacation. Because they're going to get reimbursed whenever it is they go back to work. Stop it. But nobody would say it's the government workers' fault that they've been furloughed. It's a result of something. Of political arguments, disagreements, and debates, and they are the scapegoats for it. African Americans can oftentimes be the scapegoats for everything that plagues this country because people don't want to take personal responsibility for how they participated in the divisions and the separation and the segregation that exists. Don't blame the actual system. Don't look over here. It's sleight of hand. Blame them. Crime in this country? Clearly it's Muslims. If your house gets broken into, it's ISIS. There's a robbery, if there's a carjacking, it's a Mexican that is here in this country illegally. That's what they do. And so just be very, very careful when you're having your conversations about who people are supposed to support and why. Be mindful that you may be coming from a different place, a different perspective, and looking through a different lens than the individual that you are engaging in conversation. So what I'm not going to do and what I'm going to do whatever I can to not allow is to allow the Democrats to get off the hook because they're not the racist party. Oh, they're the ones that are fighting for civil rights and whatever the case may be. You don't really hear much. You don't really hear much legislation pointing to that fact. But they'll say, hey, we're not Republicans. Look at Donald Trump. Okay, fair enough. You're not them. But what are you doing to help advance the cause of your most loyal and faithful constituents? Tony Evers would not be governor if it was not for a handful of wards in the city of Milwaukee. He only won by 20,000 votes out of 5.8 million people, 3.1, 3.2 registered voters in the state. To win by 23,000 is a percentage point. It's less than a percent. Less than a percent. While the numbers of African Americans in the state of Wisconsin, total population 6%, 7%. Of that 6 or 7% of the total population, better than 90% vote for Democrats every single time, every single election. It is because of that performance that someone like Tony Evers is just, oh, oh my God, just barely able to squeak by by the hair of his chinny-chin-chin. And so as politics goes, you are to pay the piper. I know you don't like it. People don't like it. But if you have this special interest group that helps you get elected, you legislate on their behalf because if it was not for them, you would not be in that executive position in the first place. Some of us will never forget that.
I'm gonna take a break. I, I thought I was gonna talk about Tony Ears being pro business. Okay, so I'll do that when I come back from this break. I totally promise I will. The forum on Real Resistance Radio. I'm your host Sherwin Hughes. You can check out our website and look at a bunch of pictures of me interviewing a bunch of people. The forum 1510.com. We're also on Twitter at the forum 1510. I have a poll going on Twitter. How long do you think the government shutdown will last? The person who guesses closest wins a $50 Packing House gift card courtesy of me and Real Resistance Radio and the Packing House. Keep it locked. I'll be right back. They don't 